0: Radio was the only thing I ever wanted to do. I think from the time I was 10 years old, I wanted to uh, work in radio. I went from wanting to be a ballerina to wanting to be on the radio. Those were my two career choices from my entire life.
1: That's Sean Campbell of the Chicago Independent Radio Project. Our own Jennifer Waits talked with her during a tour of that station, and it's part of this special episode in celebration of National Radio Day. Happy National Radio Day and welcome to Radio Survivor, the sound of strong communities. I'm Paul Reismanel and I'm one of your hosts and producers. Eric Klein here. Happy Radio Day, everybody. And joining us via Skype from the great city of San Francisco is...
2: Jennifer Waits, your third radio survivor in attendance.
1: Wonderful. All accounted for. We will call this National Radio Day to order. (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I'm banging a gavel First, i have no gavel
3: i'm banging the air gavel
1: so we're going uh live a little early this week it rounded in on our regular uh tuesday release releasing on saturday august 20th in celebration of national radio day uh you know, i'm gonna put you on the spot i didn't ask any of you this question up front but are any of you doing anything to celebrate or commemorate national radio uh-huh. day jennifer
2: Well, I will listen to the radio, as I always do. (laughs) So I will wake up to KFJC, and I will probably listen throughout the day. Um, But yeah, beyond that, I don't have
3: any specific plans. That's a great question. I love this. I'm glad you didn't ask me ahead of time. I will – it's Saturday? It's Saturday, so it's a day off for a lot
1: of people. I
3: will spend the day with my son uh, listening to the radio. Okay. And and I think we're probably – we might start – with the FM uh, in our home, but we'll probably switch uh, pretty quickly to uh, to the TuneIn app and maybe uh, try to find him something that he enjoys. It might end up being uh,
1: childish. It should be a great exploration. You should go to nationalradioday.com. There's a list of participating stations, and a lot of stations are doing special programming mm. or other events. There's some cool ones. There's a, uh, South Florida's NPR affiliate, is uh, doing a movable feast. So their staff are going from restaurant to restaurant all over South Florida to meet up with listeners and have brunch, breakfast, lunch, and dinner with them, which I think is really cool Um, in Norman, Oklahoma. Uh, the NPR affiliate there is going to have an open house in the afternoon. Uh, other stations are just doing lots of fun programming all day. So, people, uh, you should check it out if, if you know, uh, whenever you hear this um, and look, maybe listen to some of the stations. They all have online presence there at nationalradioday.com. I am going to go to Palooza 10. What? Where. Uh, Four community radio stations, well, three community radio stations and one college station here in Portland are all jointly tabling. So Centaur Palooza is a free music fest thrown by Centaur Guitars. Huh. That's it's a music store, but also I think they make guitars. Um, and this will be the tenth and final one. Um, it happens here in Portland, Oregon, and KBOO, KBOO community radio. X-Ray Community Radio, Freeform Portland Community Radio, and KPSU at Portland State University are all joining forces to sort of celebrate National Radio Day there together. And then Freeform Portland will be broadcasting uh, parts of the show later that evening. Well, that will be certainly one of the stations I tune into. Then. You should. And, and it, it's it's anticipated to be 101 degrees Fahrenheit here yeah. in Portland that um, day. Cool. So. <laughs> yeah, I changed my mind. We're going to be driving around in my car with air conditioning listening to the radio. So we'll see how that goes. But that's my plan is to go there. I think the, um, the evening part, they move indoors to a uh, bar called... Katie O'Brien's. So uh, for anyone who might hear this, who's in the Portland area on Saturday, I think it all takes place around 28th and Sandy Boulevard, so Northeast 28th and Northeast Sandy Boulevard. Wow. Cool. All free, all ages. Fun. BYOB. So you, you could get in your air-conditioned car. With your son, uh, Eric, and drive on over and say hello. I hope they have one of them misters. That's what I want for, for this event. Oh, I like that. Many, that, that, that blows many, the- Many water misters. The cold water, like like outside the malls in Arizona. How exciting.
3: I have to- I know we've done this before, but I just have to say one more time, what an amazing uh, uh, handful of years it has been for radio in Portland. You just you just rattled off a list of radio stations, and five years ago-
1: There would have been two. Yeah, well, X-ray and five years ago there would have just been KBU and uh, KPSU. But even KPSU has gone through dramatic changes. So. Yeah, yeah, but it's really it's really come together. Yeah, yeah. This
3: college station is showing up to a community event that's focused on music and culture. Uh, and I don't think five years ago they would have been there.
1: And and yeah, and collaborating with other community radio stations. I mean, this is a nice yes. thing. I've had a chance to you know meet and work with uh, folks from uh, X Ray. KBOO, and uh, Freeform Portland, and we often have uh, sort of unofficial meetups where we just get together and talk a little bit about common issues that face people in community radio um, and coordinate things like this. Uh, I think this just kind of happened kind of spur of the moment. And It's really
3: wonderful because uh, some people might think of uh, community radio as a zero-sum game where... Where if my listeners are listening to your station, they're not listening to me and uh, therefore I'm losing out on uh, the numbers and the funds. But in reality, perhaps we could see it differently that that everybody who turns on their radio on a daily basis is more likely tomorrow to turn on their radio again. And the more radio listeners you have in your city – uh the more yeah. the more love there is to go around for every station.
1: Exactly. I think, you know, it's sort of you know, people who may listen to Pandora probably don't just listen to one Pandora station they've made. They've probably <laughs> got like six or seven that they like, right? And it's because they go back. They keep going back into different moods. And knowing that you have a couple of new other presets on your radio that you can rely upon something interesting happening, you know, whether it's music, whether it's talk or some kind of public affairs or something completely indescribable, right, the more likely you are to think, oh, wait, we have good radio here. Uh, and I really, I can, when I just want something on and I want to be surprised, or I don't want to have to make choices sometimes, uh, I know I can rely upon that. And I do very frequently rely upon, rely upon these stations uh, when I don't feel like choosing a particular artist or song at a particular time. And I just want something good.
2: It's so great to hear about all of them collaborating. I, I just love hearing that when stations in a community meet up um, and are, become friends with each other because it can be so helpful For a variety of reasons, you know, you might be able to do a show together that you wouldn't have been able to do on your own. Or maybe you can share equipment. Um, You know, I know a lot of stations get handing out equipment from their friends. So it just makes so much sense.
3: Yeah, I I don't I hope I'm not talking out of school is I mean, the the one of the main reasons that is happening at all here in Portland is because because. Paul dreamed that it was possible. I, I don't
1: think I can take credit uh, at all. So much is that, you know, I mean, the, the, basically the way the story goes is, you know, we have our weekly email newsletter, the Radio Survivor Bulletin, which is free. You can sign up at radiosurvivor.com. And in it, I, wo- I wrote, uh, we had often have like an intro part. And I wrote at that time. And I wrote about moving to Portland. And uh, Aaron Yankee, who is the program director at KBOO, wrote back and said, Hey, welcome to town. When you get here, uh, it would be great to meet up sometime. And after many months of us trying, we finally were able to sit down and meet up. And so, and we knew, and, and already I had had a chance to meet you and meet folks at Mm x-ray.fm, uh, which was the sort of the, the second community radio station to come online here in Portland, um and Aaron had a chance to meet with them too. And 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 then I also met uh Becky Myers, who is a development director over at uh at KBOO. And she has tons and tons of great energy, very positive energy. Yeah, And we, great. we all three of us got to talking about well, there's no reason why this can't be a collaborative enterprise. And especially with you know, we knew that Freeform Portland was gonna go on the air at that point. Um and to welcome it out. And so uh last fall, uh Becky hosted a house party, basically, and invited just kind of anyone working in non-commercial radio. And a whole bunch of folks showed up, and there were bands, and it was a lot of fun. And so it was sort of, yeah, I think, you know, it sort of, I think the three of us, you know, sort of worked on it together, but then we had great help with people um, like like Jess Bonneman at, at Freeform. Uh, at Freeform Portland and I uh, you know we've I've talked with Jeff Simmons, who's worked a lot with uh, Freeform Portland and who has been on the show, been here on the radio Survivor podcast. And yeah, there's been a lot of cross-pollination, right you know and as yeah. as you sort of noted, uh, there's a lot of the folks are alums of KDVS right at uh, University of California Davis that who've was, made their way to Portland. that was one
3: of the surprises uh, that I uh, uncovered. Through the virtue of reporting a story, showing up in the flesh with a microphone and asking a series of open questions that i don't know the answer to uh, and it turned out that 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 everyone <laughs> that everyone who was there at the 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 antenna raising of freeform portland uh had had a um like a, a college radio a experience. A happy yeah. college radio experience at, at the Davis, UC uh, Davis College radio Yeah, Station. yeah.
1: It's just amazing. So I think that what we're seeing, right, is this sort of uh, cross-pollination and people working together and trying to be collaborative. And and I suspect it's happening in other cities. I certainly hope it's happening in other cities.
3: Yes, we must. That was, that was the important part. Paul and I are sitting here in Portland. We're lucky enough to know what goes on in this city. And wouldn't it be amazing if one day we were sitting in Minneapolis? instead for, uh, you know, 10 years of our lives so that we had all of the, uh, the grounding to know those things. Are you in those cities? Do you know more than we do? Reach out to us and tell us that story.
1: Podcast at radiosurvivor.com. I do want to, and I want to call out somebody who I think more, more than anyone I know leads the charge in this sort of collaboration. Her name is Sabrina Roach. Right. She has been here Another on the show before. Of the show. Yeah, friend of the show. She works for Brown Paper Tickets. She's a doer for them. So as part of uh, Brown Paper Ticket's kind of investment in their own community, they hire people to be doers to, to affect positive change in their communities. And she focuses on radio. And she has done so much to coordinate low-power FM stations in the Seattle, Washington area, the Puget Sound area. But it's so much bigger than that because she also has worked with uh, community and public stations in the whole sort of Washington region, I think, in addition to low-power FMs. And she's friends to stations here in Portland. She's friends to stations across the country and has worked hard to connect these dots between full power legacy community radio stations that have been around for for 25 30 40 like, years like the KBOO yeah like KBOO or WRT in Madison or KGNU in Denver in Boulder Colorado and then she's also done a lot to help connect up with uh, public access TV which is another form of community media many public access TV stations are getting low-power FMs. And so making sure that all these dots have been connected and really encouraging right this sort of sense of like we're growing the pie. There's an opportunity to grow listenership, grow involvement for everyone. Again, rather than looking at it as some kind of zero someday. And she has been a big motivating force behind National Radio Day being celebrated in a tremendous sort of way. So major props to Sabrina. She deserves a lot of credit and radio in the U.S. is much better because she's, she's working in it. So I want to make sure she gets her due credit in all of this.
2: It's true. When I'm places all over the country, her name comes up, you know, people say, oh yeah, you must know Sabrina. So she does an incredible amount of outreach, uh, which is great.
1: Yeah. It, it, it's, it's so amazing what, what is, uh, I think this moment is what's happening in community radio across the country and you know it, it. It's not always easy, as we'll actually hear a little bit about in uh, in our feature segment here. Uh, your our next co- your next radio station tour. Um, you know, stations have in, have different challenges they face. Often, st- uh, ones that are in big cities face different challenges. Maybe in small towns, um, and we'll learn more about that because we can move into your next radio station tour, Jennifer. Tell us tell us what station you most you recently visited.
2: I visited, well, I'm always visiting stations, but the one we're <laughs> going to talk about, um, I visited in April, and it was Chirp Radio, which is the Chicago Independent Radio Project, and they are so close to getting on air as a low-power FM station, but they've been around for quite a long time as a streaming radio station, so we'll hear more about that in our feature.
1: Yeah. So you were able to talk with, I I presume it was Sean Campbell, right?
2: Yes. Um, I talked to the founder, Sean Campbell. Um, I brought my family along. So Sean toured us around, uh, the station on a Friday morning and we got to see, got to see what they were up to. A DJ was on the air and they were in the midst of various activities in between sort of events. um, and they have a construction permit for a new low-power FM license. So they don't have a date in mind. Um, it, she talked about how it's a bit trickier to get on the air in a city because there are different kinds of permits than you might have maybe in a rural area. So it's not just the FCC Licensing and
1: permits. It's, it's the city the bureaucracy. City. And, yeah. and Chicago is a city that moves at its own pace, I think. <laughs> I think you can say that about a lot of big cities. Yeah.
2: You know. So it's um, it's really cool and exciting because, as all of you regular radio survivor listeners know, initially people thought it was going to be unlikely to have low-power FM stations in urban areas. So it's it's quite exciting thanks to the efforts of many um there are going to actually be low power FM stations in big cities like Chicago. So their potential audience is huge. So even though it's got a tiny signal, they can reach a huge number of people because they're in a big city.
1: Well, let's go ahead and listen to your interview with uh, Sean Campbell.
2: All righty. So I know you guys, you were sort of at the forefront of the LPFM. It sounds like you. Actively work to help get the local community radio act passed. So I'm just wondering how it feels to be close to getting on the air
0: It's really exciting. We did we um we worked really hard We went to DC and lobbied a couple times and uh, we actually led a White House meeting on the issue uh, In 2009 when we were in DC. That was really exciting for us Um, You know, I think since we were from President Obama's city. It was a a nice opportunity um, when you know he had just come into office and so when the law passed, we were we were thrilled. And we applied in 2013 when the window opened and got our license at the end of 2014. And now we've been working. Um, uh, you know, the thing about Low Power FM in cities is um, it is a lot more complex than, uh, you know, when you're building out in a rural area. So we've uh, spent a whole lot of time on our structural engineering. And um, so we're thrilled to be getting close. Um, we. We would love to have it up and running. <laughs> um, we're just about to apply for our city construction permit, so that's the next phase of the whole thing. Um, but really to have worked on this since 2007, and um, you know, so just about nine years of, of work, it's really great to be approaching the finish line.
2: So how, I know it's hard with city permitting and all of that, when do you think you might get on the air? We don't know for sure. Okay. And we, we, we um, set a launch
0: date last fall, and we didn't make it. So we're definitely not setting a new launch yeah. date until we have our permit. And that's just because the permit process can take up to 90 days to um, get an answer. And then if they want you to make modifications or anything, they can take another 90 days. Mm-hmm. So we're <laughs> hesitant to, uh, to set a date. We, we hope this summer. What's your deadline with FCC. We just extended the CP. so oh, that's good. So, no, what is it, like November 2017.
2: <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah, we've got a while. That's good. We certainly hope we don't need all that time.
2: Yeah, I know that, um, you know, people are worried about construction permits expiring, and, you know, it would be so sad if that happened right. with, after all the effort that people put in. Right. So and that's I'm good. sure probably,
0: probably some will, um, you know, and I think that, one of the things that I guess I, I, I hope people are cognizant of with these, these, these city builds and everything is there, there is more expense for the most yeah. part than there, there are in other areas where you can be a little more flexible. You know, you have to get up high here. You have to, um, you know, our, ours is a four-bay antenna, um, which for a low-power FM is kind of crazy. Um, but it's just what we have to do to be able to,
2: you know, get on the air and get anybody to hear us what do you expect the range to be, and how many people do you think that might reach since you are in a city? That's kind of a great opportunity.
0: Yeah, it's, it's um you know, it's it, we, we expect it to be about a two-and-a-half to three-mile radius, so, I mean, we've got about a million people in that radius. That's amazing. Yeah, it's great. It's
2: exciting. Chicago Independent Radio Project has been in existence for quite a long time compared with a lot of the people who were applying for new LPFM licenses. So what was the impetus for starting up a new community radio project? Well,
0: Chicago was the biggest city in the country that didn't have a a truly independent community radio station, I think, at the time. And um, so I had worked with, um, you know, some university community uh, hybrid stations. And the thing is, it became really clear that the entity that controls the license controls the fate of the station. And so I just saw an opportunity to, you know, when I, I, I knew a little bit about the work that Prometheus Radio Project was doing and that was being done on Low Power FM. And sort of, sort of the circumstances that I was in at the time uh, made, it, made it the right time to actually set out on my own and, and, and bring a group of people together who I knew were true believers in, in independent radio.
2: And how did you get your start in radio?
0: It was the only, radio was the only thing I ever wanted to do. Um, I was one of those weirdos who actually did know what I wanted to do from the time I was really young. I think from the time I was 10 years old, I I wanted to uh, work in radio. I went from wanting to be a ballerina to wanting to be on the radio. Those were my two career choices from my entire life. Um, And so I just was always a radio listener. I loved it. And what I wanted to do in radio evolved over time. Um, There was a period of time where I wanted to be a sportscaster. Hmm. And I actually called some baseball games when I was in college and did some sports talk shows and things. But I always really loved music. And that was really uh, at the heart of of what my love of radio was. And so that was where I I came to at the end. I, I did news as well. I was a news anchor and reporter and a writer and producer and all sorts of things. Um, but it always came back to music for
2: me. And where did you have your first radio show?
0: <laughs> um, my first show was at my college radio station, WONC, out in Naperville. Ah, oh, we visited there. Right, last year. Last
2: year, that's right. I, I, I think I, I re- re- sent
0: you on your way out there, actually. Awesome. I think I put you in touch with John Madormo out there.
2: Great, right. I totally forgot about that.
0: And uh, then my first professional job in radio was in Lafayette, Indiana, a station called WIIZ, The Wizard, uh, where I did overnights at an alternative rock station. And in a couple of months after being there, I got promoted to music director, but they didn't take away my overnight. So I would work from midnight to 6 a.m., five days a week. I would go home. I would sleep from like 6.30 till noon, get up, go back to the station at one, work from about one until eight, go home, eat dinner, go back to the station. Yeah,
2: (laughs) Yeah, it seems like in commercial radio, like, you don't always realize that as listeners, but people are doing multiple jobs. Like, they have their DJ gig, but then they also have to do promotions or the music
0: director role. Right, and, yeah, and it was, the time that I was starting in radio was kind of the time where there was more and more of that, where there were fewer jobs and people were wearing more and more hats, and that was definitely the case at the all
2: the different stations I worked at. So that was just Sean Campbell, the founder of Chirp Radio, during our interview back in April, talking about the history of the station and her amazing history in radio. I love that radio was the only thing that she has wanted to do.
1: Yeah, lucky. (laughs) Yeah, and it's really, you know, her tenaciousness and dedication that brought, I mean, community radio to Chicago to begin with, both because she she helped to found Chicago Independent Radio Project and two, because she lent so much time and effort to uh, getting the Local Community Radio Act passed, wow. the act which uh, restored the original vision for Low Power FM when the FCC first announced the rules in 2000, uh, which then allowed... There to be low power FM in cities like Chicago, San Francisco, Portland, Seattle, et cetera. Point of order. Are you serious? There's no community radio in Chicago. Correct. Yeah. So there are many college stations. Okay. In in Chicago. And very robust public radio station there is a very robust public radio station uh chicago public radio chicago public media which many people know because it's the home of uh, this american life um there you know there is a uh jazz public radio station in the suburbs that's pretty good um many robust college stations and for a while wluw which is the uh, station at Loyola University Chicago was operated like a community radio station, and so Sean actually worked there. Um, and this, yeah,
2: she was she was program director at WLUW.
1: Yes, and so it was it was this a joint agreement between uh, Loyola University Chicago and chicago public radio so chicago public radio basically operated the station but operated it as a community radio station so as you would expect it to be and students were involved in addition to community volunteers um there is a very long running show called live from the heartland which is broadcast from the heartland cafe which is a a long-standing sort of hippie leftist organizing point cool Uh, and the far north side of chicago in a, a neighborhood called rogers park which is where i used to live in chicago and every saturday morning they have this sort of live rambunctious talk and music show that they broadcast from the heartland cafe there um and but in a i think it was about 2007 through 2008 Loyola university decided to reorganize and uh, launch a new college of communication. And so they wanted to integrate their radio station back into the academic program. So turn it into more of a college station, but that would be tightly knit into their new sort of uh, college of communication programs in journalism and in broadcast. And so they ended that agreement with uh, Chicago Public Radio, which meant that the uh, professional staff there Uh, essentially lost their jobs because there was no longer uh, jobs for them there at Loyola. And it was after that, I think, that Sean was inspired to create uh, Chirp Community Radio. She's a radio survivor. She is totally a radio survivor. Mm -hmm. I mean, and the nice thing is that WLUW has continued to be a great station. I think a lot of there was a lot of concern that, uh, you know, and mostly it's the concern of the unknown. Right. That when uh, the university was taking it back over, what would it what would it look and sound like? Um, they reduced, I think, the number of hours that were broadcast by community volunteers and turned over more hours to students. But sort of on balance uh, they kept a lot of the the community's most favorite programs are still there, and they've done a lot to make sure the students are really get the opportunity to have a real college radio station to really operate it, uh, put on interesting programs, and do a lot of things. And they and they really then the school to its credit invested a lot of money in new studios and really making sure it would be a good station. And so what's happened in my view is that there's been NitsNet+. plus. So in addition to having another great college radio station you now have a great community radio yeah, station through the, which is going on the air uh sometime between now and November 2017 through the the the, the strong efforts of Yeah much credit is due to Sean she's she she has done a lot for Chicago and done a lot I think for low power FM well, in general
3: What was the main thing you got from that interview that Jennifer recorded Paul
1: well, I mean, I hadn't really thought about the issues of permitting and everything, right? I mean, even though I lived in Chicago, I never had to build anything. <laughs> um, I remember going through permitting issues in Urbana, uh, Urbana, Illinois, uh, because I was uh, around... Same state, smaller town. Yeah. Same state, smaller town, a town of uh, thirty-five, forty thousand. <laughs> 40,000, twin city with Champaign, Illinois, home of the University of Illinois. So total area, you know, about 150,000 people in those two towns. And uh, the independent media center there, which I was a, helped to found, uh, got a license for a low power FM station in the first window back in 2000, and put on the air WRFU LP. And I remember though there had to be you know working with the city. I, I wasn't in charge of it, but there was a lot of working with the city of Urbana to site the antenna, right, to make sure that it was up to code and and where it would be placed and and everything else because it's just not. You know, a typical thing that goes up every day, a big antenna to, to broadcast radio. And, you know, from what Sean said about, you know, these uh, so-called four bay antenna. And what that sort of means is that there's four antenna elements. And you usually do that uh, because that increases your efficiency uh, in terms of how mu- how well your signal um, propagates, based on how much power you put in, but also you do that when you have to have a very tight pattern. Mm. So for a lot of LPFM stations, because they're kind of squeezing into the dial, right? And there's if you can just imagine, um, you know, think of think of uh, a radio dial as like a garden of flowers. And so you have sunflowers, enormous big flowers, and those would be your big commercial radio stations. And you have like little petunias in here, right? But none of them can overlap, right? They all got to kind of squeeze in. And sometimes you end up with a space that isn't exactly round. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right and 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 sort of radio propagation tends to be kind of round it's never perfect but it tends to be like that and sometimes it needs to be directional you need mm-hmm. to kind of shoot it in a direction and so kind of instead of being like a flower right it might be like you know like a, a plant that you've you're, clipped you're making a wedge shape right making a wedge shape right that and so you need to reach a particular area and not really go over sure. lest you interfere and i'm pretty sure that's what uh chirp needs to do in order to reach its target area area uh they're in the dense densely populated uh north side of Chicago they must be working with a very knowledgeable they must
3: be. engineer Absolutely. who loves this stuff who loves it
1: and so and so Jennifer you got a chance to go to their studios I've never had a chance to visit because they are on they they're broadcasting now online and and they're very they've been a very popular and involved station there what were the studios like
2: well they're in this 100 year old I think around a hundred year old warehouse um, Hmm. which has um, a bunch of arts related organizations in it. So there are screen printing studios and rehearsal spaces. Um, So that vibe is really cool. You could tell it's a really creative space Um, and they're up, I think on the second or third floor of the building Um, and volunteers there actually helped create the space. So they built walls because since it's a warehouse, they had to sort of figure out, you know, how they wanted to structure their station. So they have around, I think, 240 volunteers, wow. which is amazing. Um, and, and if you think back to the beginning, when they first started meeting as CHIRP, they were working on the local community radio act. And they had regular people or they had people regularly coming to meetings before there was even a radio station. Hmm. So people have been super engaged with with the project For years now, Um, I think, yeah, it's the ninth anniversary of Chirp this year. Wow! So there's been a lot of hard behind the scenes. There was a lot of hard behind the scenes work before they even went online as a streaming station. And originally they weren't planning to be a streaming station first, but um, they ended up realizing that demand was there. People were kind of ready to start doing radio. Sure. Ten
3: years ago, you might not. That's not the first thought. Yeah. Yeah. But it changes. So
2: so they ended up, um, you know, starting out as a streaming station. Um, But the space has, uh, when you walk into the chirp part of the building, they've got sort of an open lobby area with some couches. A lot of amazing artwork. Um, They have really talented volunteers who are. Artists. So all of their posters are top-notch mm-hmm. and their T-shirts and their bags. Everything looks really professional. Um, so they've got a lobby. They've got a little office. They've got um, the studio. And then they have behind the studio, behind the on-air studio, there is sort of a storage area, record library, storage area slash record library where they have their T-shirt swag and um, something that my my ten year old daughter, you know, she uh, was talking about some of the weirder things she'd seen. I think that's where she saw the naked mannequin, <laughs> um,
0: which was uh, yes. used,
2: you know, to hold a T-shirt. So it was not it was very innocent. Um, and then they had a small production studio also next to the main studio. So it was a nice space, um, cool artwork, and then down the hall. There's kind of a common area near some of the um, design studios and it's a space where they can actually have a band play. So they've had bands come in for these studio sessions that they film and then post later. Um, So it's nice that they also have these shared spaces like that where they can spread out, you know, do something like that.
1: I'm hearing about so many great parts of that forward-looking vision of low-power FM community radio, radio in general, uh, coming out of CHIRP here. Uh, The first is that they went ahead and started their station before even they had a chance at a license, right? And that's something which Hollow Earth Radio in Seattle did as well. It started as an online station before there was an opportunity to have a low-power FM, but then they went and applied for low-power FM. So now they have a really strong... Community station already as their signal goes up on the air, and it's uh, I think it's a really smart thing for anyone who, who might want to run a radio station, especially a non commercial one, uh, because the the uh, all the fees you have to pay are much much lower if you can qualify as a nonprofit and non commercial. So great to get started there because now they have people who are eagerly anticipating that new station who are ready to listen. Yeah, the secret sauce there is
3: the the dozens upon dozens upon dozens of ready. Right. I mean, volunteers. You, you have the community before you have the radio before you have. Yeah. Before it's you have the so,
2: broadcast signal. Yeah. It's so important, you know, and they've done everything. Um, you know, Sean was telling me about one volunteer talking about how his blood was in the walls, literally, of the <laughs> station, you know, because
1: yeah. <laughs> they're they, working they hard, really getting injured. It. Yeah. Yeah. And it's great to hear they're doing this video as well, right? So they're 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 taking it multimedia, right? So they have the ability to have bands perform there and to share that performance on air in a number of different ways. So it's, it, it's live in some way, or it's at least you hear it, uh, synchronously on the air. And then you also have the opportunity to go back and view it if you didn't, if you didn't make it right. So again, it, I, I really feel like Chirp takes seriously this idea of radio station as a platform. It is a community media and art center, uh, that is anchored by the radio station, but has the opportunity to engage in so many different ways. And And I think if I'm, yeah. if I'm correct, Uh, Jennifer, they are principally a music station, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. The main focus is music and culture. Most of the shows are music-oriented, but they also air interviews. Um, But music is really really the focus. Um, They're still doing a long-running record fair that I think started maybe as a project at WLUW. Um, because the record fair has been in existence longer than yeah. Chirp has, <laughs> um, so they do events like that. Um, they're active on social media. I was, I thought it was interesting. At the beginning, she said they all they had was a MySpace page and held meetings in the back of an ice cream shop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and and now. <laughs> um, now they're on, you know, all the current social media platforms of 2016.
1: Yeah, um, it's you know, amazing. So they've been
2: on top of that since the beginning. An
1: eight-year journey, really. Um, and they've done so much. And I'll admit, when so when I was at Northwestern University as the advisor to WNUR, the college station there, um, I held up CHIRP as an example for the students. They were very Interested, um, And this is going back now about four years ago. They were very interested in kind of rejuvenating their publicity and, you know, rejuvenating how well people would know about WNUR. Right. And I pointed to so I pointed to say, look, look here in downtown Evanston, a suburb of. Of Chicago, and if you go to like the coffee shop downtown, you will see a poster for Chirp, for Chicago Independent Radio Project. At the time, just you know, only an online station, not just, but only. And if you go to shows in the city, you will see a banner, a flyer, often at a table. You will they will be represented. All over the place in the independent music scene. I said, "Take you know." I said that takes a lot of effort and a lot of planning, but look how effective it is. Like you've all heard of it, and they don't. They at the time didn't yet have a transmitter, and I think that they uh, really have been smart and focused in their efforts. Um, and, and you know, and it sticks in my mind as as a former Chicago resident. And I would I would listen to them to, my, to them online because uh, I knew I would hear. Uh, good independent, you know, indie rock primarily, but especially, uh, you know, bands that would be in town and, of course, local bands in the Chicago area. So I'm really glad you got a chance to go go visit Chirp.
2: Sure. Yeah, they definitely have a focus on local, too. In fact, I was just looking at their online playlist today, and they even have a special designation every time they play a local artist. So if you go look at their archive playlist, you can see which artists are local. So that's kind of a great service, too, that not only do they play local artists, but they kind of highlight that so that listeners know. Um, but yeah, it's um, Sean pointed out something that I think is important in that since they're in a bigger city, they have a much larger potential pool of volunteers. Mm-hmm. So that is part of the reason why they can get 240 people helping out at the station. And that's why they can do all of these amazing things that they do with promotional materials and getting out at all these shows and being on the air for so many hours with live DJs. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. I was glad. I've been monitoring them for a long time too, so I was glad to get to visit on this trip.
1: But I think even in a smaller community, you know, where you may not have millions of people around, you can you can take some inspiration Uh, From what they do there in terms of, you know, involving people in the building and getting people excited. Um, And I think that, you know, and then and then putting that effort into visibility because I think this is something we've talked about a little bit here on the show. And it's something I wrote about, I've written about it, radio survivor because we've gotten questions, you know, and often folks building uh, low power FMs right now in smaller communities feel kind of alone. Like they're just, you know, just grinding away at this effort. And they're like, well, how can we build support? How can we, how can we, you know, get people to, to listen and then, you know, potentially donate money. And, And really it's, 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 it's a, it's an on the ground effort. You know, as I mentioned, you know, I don't know that chirp spends a ton of money on like billboards or major advertisements, but in just about every coffee shop or kind of cool bookstore or cool independent shop in Chicago, I found a poster for them. Hmm. And that's, that's a, it's, 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 it's a simple, time-consuming, but but not maybe as much as you think, a simple, simple effort to make sure you have some flyers and posters and somebody walks into the shop that they go to, right? The place where the barista recognizes them or, you know, the, your local barber or your local salon and somebody there recognizes you say, hey, do you mind, can we hang up a poster for our station here? And if somebody knows a promoter or somebody knows a band or somebody knows uh, somebody who runs a club, bar or other type of performance venue, hey, what would it take for us to have a flyer, to have a banner, to be there at during a show, right? And to find that. And, you know, it's one of these things. If, even if you have a volunteer and that's all he or she does is take some flyers and commits to putting them up at her favorite Uh, venues, her her favorite places, you're spreading the word that way. And with Low Power FM, right, you know, uh, you you don't have to necessarily, you know, coat the entire metropolitan region, right? Although if you can, it's great. Focus on your neighborhood. Focus on where the station will be heard. Make it so that people can't kind of miss it. I mean, sure, they may not pay attention, but they can't kind of miss it. It's that kind of just thinking about it as 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 really a one-to-one kind of thing, people to other people, right, is the way you kind of get the word out, um, is very very, very effective. And of course, if you can then, you know, throw events like the record fair is an event that I know just about every music nerd in Chicago eagerly anticipates and and waits for every single year. Um, that's great too. Uh, but I think, you know, thinking about it in that way, right. It, it is really, you know, sure. Social media is great. You want to be there, but thinking about all social media is, in some cases, that one-to-one kind of communication, and it's the people that you're, you're talking to and they get out there on the ground. But if people keep seeing this poster for a cool radio station, they're going to check it out. Especially if it's in the cool record store, the cool uh, restaurant, the cool bookstore—you know the the places they like to go and that they that they have strong uh, positive feelings about—that translates. It, it, it translates over. So I think a lot of inspiration can be t- can be taken even if you you don't have uh, a metroplex of of millions and millions of people uh, uh, that that you're situated in.
2: Yeah, and and those are all the places that you want to have as part of your community as a radio station. You want to be friends with mm-hmm. them. So maybe you're also inviting people in from these places right. to come on to your public affairs show. Um,
1: or or just during the day, just for a five minute little, it doesn't even, right. You don't even have to have the, the, the public affairs show, right. It could be the local promoter talking about some great shows coming up in the middle of a music show, right. It, it can be super casual. Even you don't have to, I think sometimes uh, I talk to folks who overthink it. Right, they they look at at stations that have been around a long time and and so have really worked out a lot of their format and and, and have really well established shows and they think oh my gosh it's such a uh, hill to climb to be from like a low power FM uh, to being a KGNU and it's like well no be your low power FM like take advantage of the fact that. You could probably just invite someone to come on over and open up the mics for 15 minutes. It doesn't have to be super planned. It doesn't have to be all part of something uh, rigorously uh, scheduled and programmed. It could be something kind of loose and you will still build great goodwill with that prominent person in your community, that active person in your community who will who will. I get, I bet, be honored and excited about being, invo- being invited to be on the radio. And it doesn't have to take a ton of effort for you. And of course, uh, your listeners benefit from it.
2: And those are things that I see a lot of community radio stations promoting too. So you can tweet about it and tag the person who was on the air with a link to where you can listen to the archive. And then you're introducing more listeners to a station too. So it, all of that really helps build community.
1: Yeah, and, and that networking, you know, National Radio Day, which is sort of our theme today, is that big networking effort, right? It's the effort to try and get radio stations across the country to kind of to celebrate this one thing. And, and you know, there may they may connect with each other, but it's amplified, right? When you have thousands of stations all participating in some shape or form uh, and all talking about it, more people are drawn to like, hey, What's going on with this National Radio Day? If, and, and in the small form, if everybody, if lots of people in your community say, hey, what's going on with this new radio station? Have you heard about this new radio station? If you can generate a little bit of that excitement uh, in that one-to-one sort of way, you'll benefit. And, of course, the whole point is your community benefits. So National Radio Day. First off, I want to say uh, your uh, radio station tour of Chicago Independent Radio project is at radiosurvivor.com. Right, Jennifer?
2: You it is. <laughs> photos and
1: everything. Uh, usually they get published on the same day or ahead of time of us uh, talking about it here on the podcast. So we'll have that in the show notes at radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. We'd love to hear from you. What are your ideas for how uh, new community stations or long lasting radio stations can engage with their communities, build listenership and uh, create and and foment great culture in your in your town, let us know. Podcast at Radio Survivor dot com, and if you could help us out, we'd really appreciate it. This is uh, like like community radio. It's it's pretty much a volunteer project, but anything you contribute to help us continue to do it is really helpful. We'd love to grow the show. We'd love to be able to turn this into a radio show that we can syndicate for free to any college community or non commercial station that would love to carry it. That takes extra time, effort, and money. So if you could go to radiosurvivor slash support and Give us a hand, uh, either with like a monthly contribution or with a one-time contribution. We'd really appreciate it. Go to radiosurvivor.com slash support. So uh, a suggestion I had for uh, celebrating National Radio Day here was perhaps we could share um, a moment or two, each of us, a really uh, prominent moment in our lives that uh, where radio was important or a great, uh, fun time we had with radio. Um, uh, Jennifer, do you you have something you'd like to share?
2: Oh, I have so many things I want to share. (laughs) I have to Uh,
1: choose one.
2: I know I have to choose one. Why don't we start with one and we'll see where we go. Right. All right. I remember, I remember vividly being a kid listening to creepy radio dramas Mm. late at night in my room. Um, like as I was falling asleep and like the shadow, the radio drama, the shadow was played I think on a San Francisco radio station. So I just thought that was super magical. Um, That takes me back to being a really little kid. Um, Also, when I was a kid, we had a big vintage radio, and I remember flipping around the dial with my dad and hearing stations from all over the world. Um, So that was equally magical.
3: Wait, was that a magic radio? (laughs) Shortwave. (laughs)
2: Okay. Yeah, like shortwave, a big... (laughs)
3: It was a magic radio.
2: <laughs> well, it had it had places on the radio. It would it would list off. Um, you could put the names of stations and it had like names of stations and countries on it. It was really cool. Wow. Uh, yeah, I wish they still had it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, my, my grandfather, who I just visited in Washington, D.C. area, who is 95 years old. Uh, he has still, he, he was like, do you want this radio? And I'm like, I can't really take it with me on the plane. But it reminded me that he has a big, I think it's a Grundig, German console, stereos, I don't know if it's stereo, but, it, you know, music system. And it has that big radio dial where in the shortwave band, right, it's labeled like Germany, you know, uh, USSR, because it would have been the USSR then, you know, and, you know, UK and things like this, because sort of, Uh, For a long time, the national sort of showy broadcasters are relatively established in the frequencies they use, so you could just have the guide to know where to go. I
3: I just have to say, I have to admit something that's a quirk in my brain that doesn't work the way logic works, where I still am surprised to this day that old radios don't uh, tune in old radio. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I'm very
3: upset that you turn them on. You want like you, the
1: radio time machine. Yeah. So you turn it on. You have a 1930s radio. You turn it on, and 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 you're gonna hear, you hear like wall Benny wall. Goodman yeah. and and but whatever everything. Not
3: well. You just you just name the the hits. I want to hear the the weird, boring stuff that got <laughs> forgotten. I want to hear the 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 dumb the the DJ that wasn't famous blather on. You know the badly read the commercial that he
1: messed up. Sounds like, like someone should make an app. Right, that it just would randomly deliver uh ancient air checks.
3: Yeah. That and all the yeah. air checks.
1: I want I wanna I wanna go back to nineteen
3: eighties KROQ uh from my youth and, and just hear it again. But oh, I'm sorry, Jennifer. Magic radio. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, no. I mean I feel like there's a Stephen King story or a Twilight Zone <laughs> episode with yeah. the radio that's playing the past on it. I I feel like I've I've heard this before.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: You're not the only one who has that desire. Um, Yeah, and so some of my other memories were, like, one that you just mentioned, actually. I had a favorite radio station in high school that, it was a new wave station in San Francisco called Mm -hmm. The Quake, and it was going off the air, and tons of us, I think, made cassette tapes of the final days of that station. And then I remember listening to those tapes in college. I took them with me because I... I was sad about the station leaving the air. And I remember friends saying, wow, that sounded like such a great station. (laughs) I was like, it was. Um, But that station going off the air actually was my gateway to college radio. So when it went off the air, it caused me to seek out stations that were playing new wave music, which led me to listening to college radio. And Hmm. I have not turned back. So I'm very grateful for the commercial new wave station being my gateway to college radio.
3: Wow. Yeah. Cassettes. I had not thought that I would be talking (laughs) about, uh, the, the years that I devoted to, to pressing record on any, on just, Oh, I like this show. What, 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 you know, what is this DJ going to play next? Yeah. Just pressing record and then re-listening to those tapes so often. Uh, one of the amazing things was before the iPhone, before uh, Shazam, the app that tells you what the song is. I had a favorite song for, for,
1: for 10 years that I didn't know what it was. <laughs> right, right. I remember there was a song that uh, my friends and I, in uh, living in Tom's River, New Jersey, the Jersey Shore, uh, we could get in Philadelphia radio pretty well, and New York radio not so well. And uh, this would have been when I was probably about 13 years old, so early hip-hop and there was this song we had all heard multiple times and it all tried very hard to record called, uh, that I know now is called Jam On It by this <laughs> oh, band yeah. Nucleus, N-E-W-C-L-E-U-S. And it's like an eight minute long song and it's like spacey. It's got like electro. It's very kind of kraut rock and, 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 um, but we, for whatever reason, because it would always happen in some kind of weird set or when someone was actually kind of like doing more of a more DJ mixing, none of us knew the name. Uh-huh. And, and of course, and we would all look we, and we were all like, and someone said, well, I think it's maybe called Jamana, or, you know, we were just trying to get it. It was like, Jamana, like we couldn't even understand it, right? <laughs> like these, these suburban, you know, exurban white kids. Uh, but we were all really excited about it. We go to like, you know, and there's like. Camelot music in the mall is basically what we have. Mm-hmm. Or you have like the uh the local chain chain uh, stores and asking for it and no one knows what the hell we're at we're asking about, right? And little do we know, of course, that it was only released on like a twelve inch, you know, club single. We don't know this. We're like thirteen years old. We live in Tom River, New Jersey, right? And for years no one you know, not really knowing. And you not didn't with, have
2: the internet either. We, right. We didn't know <laughs> the
1: artists. We we couldn't really get the song right, and and then Maybe two years later, I think I'm like a freshman or sophomore in high school, I find a compilation album, you know, a various artists album of, of like hip hop that's now maybe two, three years old. And on it is that song. <laughs> I'm like, I... I- Figured it out, and at that point, my friends were like, oh, "What do you mean? It Jennifer, was two
3: years ago. No one cares." Jennifer, prior to recording, <laughs> uh, had warned that this was going to turn into a Gen X, a, <laughs> Gen-, a Gen X nostalgia <laughs> session. Because how could it, it not? Yeah,
2: it's true. Yeah, Gen X therapy session.
3: Um, <laughs> we didn't even know the name of the song that we recorded on
1: a cassette tape. Yeah, no one the had the radio. full song. We all <laughs> only had like like four minute segments, and there was no slicing it together. <laughs>
2: Well, and there was something nice about, a friend of mine was saying she gets irritated with people getting on their phones and searching something when they can't figure it out.
3: Mm -hmm. And she said she actually
2: kind of liked that mystery of not knowing sometimes um, yeah. So having a two-year quest to figure something out, it's like oddly satisfying. <laughs> Man, it exactly. gets you out of
3: the house. It's, it's Pokemon Go before the before the phone. You, you have a reason to go to a record store and to talk to the record store clerk. Uh, who just stares at you with blank yeah. eyes. I don't
1: know what you're talking
3: about, kid.
2: <laughs> so I, have, I wanted to share kind of a contemporary radio memory that actually taps into this. Um, somebody this week posted does anybody know what the deal is with 100.9 FM? And I was like, no, I'm totally intrigued now. What is the deal? And there's some station in San Francisco at 100.9 FM where you can hear like the clanking of dishes and it sounds like maybe it's a cafe, um, but nobody can figure out what it is. Um, And so I was in my car this week and tuned, tuned into it to see if I could hear and I could hear this mysterious stuff in the background, as people had described, where it's like voices kind of in the distance and a lot of static and dishes clanking. Um, so it's it's kind of exciting, actually, that these mysteries
3: <laughs>
2: live on.
3: <laughs> and Paul, Paul reached for his phone immediately. I had to go look <laughs> it up. You know that. I know.
2: So I don't know if it's a pirate station. I don't know if it's an art project. Um. There's a, there's a Reddit thread about it. That's all I've been able to find, but everybody reports the same thing. Like it yeah, it's just a, kind of sounds like it's maybe in a restaurant.
3: <laughs> and because, and because, uh, it's so funny because, uh, it matters because you're, sh- it's shared because it's on the radio. Yeah. I mean, cause there, there could very easily be a mysterious Facebook page with a live stream, but you know, who cares?
1: Well, what I would want to do is look at, look up in the um, in the FCC database, which I don't have uh, at my ready. There is a translator uh, that is uh, so a, a um, repeater station that that I that appears to be licensed to one hundred point nine in San Francisco. K two five K two six five, but I think it's it may actually be. Um, Licensed to Arcata, which is in San Francisco, um, in May. Right. Yeah, so there's a lot of. Uh, it's very difficult to figure it out. Yeah, it's very strange. I see another station called RITMO one hundred point nine has a Facebook page. Um, but I, you know, I don't know if it's a real station or if it's a pirate or whether someone's stunting. Do you know this concept of stunting?
3: Yes. At K-X-R-Y X-Ray in Portland uh, in the month or so leading up to, to launching their their radio station uh, played a very – I actually recorded it and I have it somewhere in my archives um, – a really wonderful, uh, epic, weird digital sound. And that's what you could hear when you turned on that radio. And it was uh, – it was, it was basically a, a, like a
1: 24-hour long avant-garde soundscape. Yeah. Yeah, the stations will often, when they're going to change format, they'll, they'll sort of discontinue whatever the old format was and then play like, hit me with your best shot over and over and over and over <laughs> and over again, you know, with just the station ID at the top of the hour or something like that. What you need to do, Jennifer, is to go back to where you could hear the station at the top of the hour. At the top of the hour. Because if it's a licensed station, five minutes before uh, yeah. or five minutes they after, they will have to do an ID somewhere in there or they should be. Right. Well, and, and I have
2: to, I need to drive around with an engineer and figure out, <laughs> um, cause oh, please where do I this was, for- the signal was, the signal was very weak. Um, so it, I, I don't know where it was originating from. Can, can so. you share
1: where, where you picked it up as a weak signal, maybe for other signal finders, spelunkers?
2: Oh, well, um, I picked it up as a weak signal in the Glen Park neighborhood of San Francisco.
1: Okay. This uh, is a great mystery. I'm yeah. so glad you're this, sharing this, this with be, us. This would be a very
2: good
3: episode of Radio Survivor. Well, it is. So this is an episode know, but, right now. But I, want, I need the follow-up <laughs> where you actually drive around with this uh, said radio well, engineer. Well, you don't
1: need an engineer. You just need to like, what you need to do is you need to get someone else to drive while you while you sit there with, what's great is if you have a portable radio, sometimes they have a little like signal indicator. Mm. so sometimes mm. like it'll be in, in what you can look for is does it get brighter or or, or less bright it's even better if you can get a radio that has like an actual needle and they don't really make them anymore but sometimes you can find some older ones that do i was just in and my then, car and then have somebody drive you around and then kind of see as it goes because that's about all you could do i mean if you had an engineer they probably have some like more uh sensitive uh similar sorts of equipment but i mean it's something which kind of any amateur should be able to do you just need to kind of uh, see when the signal seems or hears stronger, and move in and, and figure out which direction. And eventually, you'll figure it out.
2: Yeah, it's it's fascinating. I've had a similar experience where I'm listening to KFJC in San Francisco, and there's one little block where sometimes at night it goes into like Russian. Right. So I don't know if there's a pirate Russian station nearby, but it's only in this one little block or some station and then it stops. Yeah,
1: somewhere. <laughs> Uh, You know, in the other direction that's licensed and and, but, you know, uh, otherwise wouldn't interfere. Yeah, there's all sorts of weird phantom things. I miss
3: the days I was going to where you had that power in the car, especially to turn the dial because I I like oh the analog dial every once in a while. Well, not not only is it easier just to look for a radio station that you want to hear by, but I like I like the option when when bored to tune somewhere in between the two. And, yeah, we can still do around. that.
2: We have, you know, not brand new cars, so we can still do that in oh. our cars. Go go station by station. Yeah, which- I guess I
3: have, I have the option whenever there's any disposable income in the bank account to either get a Bluetooth uh, stereo for my car or go the opposite direction and get a get a big
1: clunky analog dial.
3: <laughs> you I don't know. To, if, you have to go to like, I don't know if I could have the both.
1: Salvation Army to get the yeah. uh, big clunky. So, so Eric, is there a particular, do you have, do you have a particular radio memory <gasps> you want to share? So
3: yeah, this question was posed and all I could think about were, um, every, everything that popped into my mind was a, a time at KPFA in Berkeley where I was, uh, drafted generally, uh, in in a tizzy, it was usually uh, something some some enormous and exciting local news event was breaking. Uh, you know, sometimes we had a week to prepare, but I was drafted into a team of uh, other people working on a project and uh, given given work and sent. Uh, so so one the the first one that popped in my head was um, the students at the University of California Berkeley, UC Berkeley. Uh, I think it was mostly grad students, but they had organized extremely large protests um They were disruptive to the regular campus life and it was um they had a they had a number of grievances, but the main one was uh the the ever accelerating student fees, which were making the public university unattainable for for students without going into enormous amounts of debt. And, um, it, you know, it was an ongoing story in, in the decades of that time, uh, still going on, but, um, they had organized a particular series of protests and, uh, UC Berkeley was only a few blocks away from the radio station and they, and my radio station sent me. So I, I had the opportunity to, to gather, to gather material in the field, to, to speak to everyone I could speak with, to record interviews, uh to to give live updates because there you know it was a breaking news event and um and and send it back to my to my newsroom where where other people <laughs> took the work and and used it for various purposes. Uh and I have a handful of other stories where that is always the case where I was working with another person whose whose uh whose intellect was bent towards this one goal of of telling a story often telling a story that was um not deemed that important by the other uh media organizations in the city and yet for us uh it was the most exciting thing that was happening that day so that was also always very exciting to like to to be able to shine that light on something that we ag- all agreed was really important but uh wasn't the story being told which is where where I felt like our radio station really shined. I think there was another day where we did, um, there, was this, you know, there was a national, it was, I think it was on the May 1st, May Day, uh, there was a series of, uh, gosh, this must have been in 2004, 2005, or something I worked on with Free Speech Radio News where we did uh, breaking coverage all day long, and I was sort of drafted into that team. Hmm. Um, yeah, so I'll, working on a team on something special,
1: Yeah. And yeah, I think that also agree with that. (laughs) It's a great example of how radio is uh, can be in a very immediate medium, right? Uh, Because even if you weren't reporting, you know, live from the streets there, right? It was not a big deal to carry a recorder out there get some audio and bring it back. And in, and and this has been true I think throughout the history of radio. I mean, I, so you still hear it occasionally, but it was definitely true, you know, well into probably the early 2000s that it was not uncommon for a radio reporter reporting something, you know, happening now, they run out the door, they take a tape recorder, mm-hmm. they go on the streets, and they get they get a quick little thing and they go to a payphone and they dial the studio. Yeah and they dictate basically run the story and hold the the tape recorder speaker up to the to the phone because it works it's audio it needs to be no more sophisticated than that especially if you need to to report something quickly or the ability to to run back to the studio with your digital recorder or your tape or whatever and get it on the air it's low to the ground you don't you don't even uh, many times you don't need a truck or a car if if roads are blocked off you can run you could bicycle you can take a subway or a bus and the ability to have that kind of instantaneous action often is is overlooked and we see a lot of it with social media now of course right. i know i know that uh r- radio professionals
3: uh today can do exactly what we just described but uh, all on
1: their ipad
3: yeah and get, which is and still just, wonderful and uh, prepare the report uh, and send it over the email, basically. If, if there's cell service room.
1: and there's internet, and but yeah. in the event that there's not, they can still fall back on these other methods, and Come, they do. Yeah, get back to the station and bring the tape. Yeah, absolutely. That, that That's a great story. And of course, right, it's that collaborative nature, right, of working in a newsroom, working with people, dedicated volunteers and professionals who are really into it. Um, I have a couple of stories, short stories to share uh, that are, you know, one's kind of a funny one or, or kind of it, it, uh, is, is a little different. And uh, it's the first pirate station that I heard that I knew and had looked for was a pirate. All right. So all of these things and it was a shortwave station. So there's a, there's a thriving continues to be a thriving pirate shortwave radio scene in the U S and around the world. And I, I was aware of it going back into the nineties and I had this realistic. So a radio shack uh, patrolman, they were called uh, shortwave radio that my grandfather gave me when I was about 10 years old. So I still had it in my twenties. And it had like AM, FM, police band, so you could listen to the police band back before it became digital. Listen to the airplane band, weather radio, and shortwave. And I had heard about online at this point um, this station called Radio Metallica Worldwide. And the reason why all the shortwave people were aflutter about it because they they allegedly had the most powerful pirate signal that had been heard in a very long time. And so often you hear these pirates. They're using very tiny transmitters that they've built or repurposed and it goes far, but you often need to have a fairly sophisticated reception set up. You have a very long antenna, long wire antenna, they call it. So, you know, tens of yards. Long and a really good radio. You got to kind of know what you're looking for, and there's certain bands that the pirates kind of occupy regularly. So you kind of know all this stuff, and you go listen. And I'd heard, no, you don't need anything sophisticated. So I'm sitting there probably in an a-, a weekday afternoon with this radio, dialing around about 69.95 kilohertz, which is a very popular place for pirates still to broadcast, and comes booming through. Radio Metallica worldwide, and I'm like, holy cow! I have no idea where this is coming from, and it's not very sophisticated. They're basically just playing classic rock and metal and yelling a lot. But I'm like, I can't believe this is actually coming in, <laughs> right from who knows where. But I know it's illicit. I know it's a pirate, and to be and I knew that to broadcast with that level of power is would is really uh, risky. It makes you very easy to find if you're broadcasting. It makes it easy for the FCC to, to, to narrow in. And I was very excited that it was the first time I ever got to hear a shortwave pirate on my own using a very unsophisticated Radio Shack radio. Um, and I was like, wow. OK, so here's a moment of radio. And, and again, brought together, right? You know, me and these other uh, nerds how
3: <laughs> across funny that, the country. How interesting that it was Metallica because I, I Metallica became so iconic as the uh, – the only band whose music was being stolen in the early aughts. So it's interesting to me that they were also this. Well, it had nothing to do with Metallica, station. right? It had yeah. nothing
1: to do with them. It was just somebody who called themselves Radio uh-huh. Metallica, right? Um, although uh, Pearl Jam, in the, about around the same time, the mid-90s, had a, uh, a potentially legal low power but definitely pirate station that toured with them yeah. and broadcast from the parking lot uh-huh. of many of their, of their concerts. Uh, so, uh, you know, there's a sort of knit in with Pi Radio there again. Um, but, uh, on a, something a little bit more, uh, uh, kind of like what you were talking about, Eric, um, I helped to engineer and kind of put together a broadcast of something called the Homelessness Marathon. And I think this still goes on. Um, is this guy, an activist, a homelessness activist, uh, Jeremy Alderson, and he put together the, he puts together this annual, um, overnight, you know, so overnight broadcast to uh, bring attention to and support to people who are homeless, experiencing homelessness. And what it does is they go to different cities, usually where there's a community or college radio station, and they broadcast from outside, with the whole point of being like, this is what it is like to be to be homeless. And we hosted it at WEFT uh, in Champaign, Illinois. And they had a home station at that point. He had a home station at WEOS in Geneva, New York. And we had basically – we didn't have a lot of sophisticated technology uh, going on at at, WEFT at the time. And so this is I think around about year 2000. And, uh, And it was in January, which in central Illinois is cold. So it was down around zero. And I had to set up a board where we would use uh, a digital phone line called an ISDN line, which many of you probably heard of, to connect with W-E-O-S. And we set up a separate broadcast board, which we didn't have. We had to find somebody who could loan it to us because we didn't have a second one. So we could set up microphones, and Jeremy would sit outside in a kind of like a little shelter tent, but not heated, just kind of sheltered from the, uh, from the winds. And when we had burn barrels set up, and we closed off the street. And did this all night broadcast where uh, he worked with local homeless uh, yeah. advocates so to, to people could show up and they were serving coffee and, you know, and hot drinks and they could come and talk. And his whole point is he wants people to come on the air and speak for themselves. Right. Yeah. So they could talk a little bit, you know, talk to advocates more about what services are available or what kind of challenges they face in providing these services. But mostly he wanted people who were homeless to come speak for the cell. So I was up all night. Uh, I, w- I was indoors for most of, for a lot of it because the equipment had to be the uh, broadcast equipment had to be indoors. And we basically sent it back and a W.E.O.S. would like field the phone calls and brought them to us. Mm-hmm. And and it was on stations around the country. Um, and it was, again, a, a similar sort of thing. All these people come together, all volunteers. Jeremy came from, from New York to, to Champaign and do this with us. Um, and all these people turning out and really seeing, like, wow, here we're creating a, a different kind of community. And we were doing it right there in the street, right? That we closed off in downtown Champaign, Illinois, where, where there are people who are homeless. You know, we often associate it with big cities you know, with a Portland or in Los Angeles or New York, but right there in, in central Illinois, also a significant issue and help to bring at least, I hope a little bit of light, but also, you know, let people speak for themselves. And I think that that's another great aspect of community radio in particular, but radio in general. And it is something, it's an experience that sticks with me uh, very well.
2: Wow. That's an amazing event.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's really something we should uh, – I think it's still going on. Gosh, I'm embarrassed that I haven't kept up with it as well, but I think it still goes on. And, it, and it's a live broadcast, so cities all over the country usually uh, – stations all over the country carry it.
3: My wheels are spinning.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I can tell. I can always tell when Eric's yeah. uh, wheels are spinning. Well, there's a, can lot, see there's a lot going on in Portland right now.
3: Yeah, and, uh, yeah, around around homelessness, around, exactly. Around well, yeah, uh, uh, all the levels of the housing yeah. situation, um, from renters down to people right. who are homeless, people
1: who are uh, no fault evictions happening, and yeah, and uh, people rents being tripled or quadrupled. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to go. Notice. I'm going
3: to go somewhere tomorrow and uh, bring my microphone and see what I can see uh, okay. at a, a at a, a complex that is far outside of the inner core of portland where rents have gotten a bit higher uh far outside um the complex is it just had a um what is the number it went from 800 and something dollars to 1200 dollars for uh, the month of rent yes a month for rent so uh, uh all those tenants are facing eviction um and uh portland has the largest homeless encampment in the country i'm told yeah on the Springwater. It's corridor. because
1: it is uh because unlike a lot of cities portland uh permits a degree of urban yeah. camping well the mayor the mayor has
3: gone back the the lame duck mayor has gone back and forth on uh, whether or not people can sleep in their tents and so there's been uh there's been some interesting vague uh humane policy yeah. a- around allowing people to sleep in tents together where they can form a community and bonds and take care of each other but then also uh scare the normals. Yeah. No
1: the most f- humane thing would be to build them houses. Right. Or, or <laughs> to allow really, them into the empty housing. Yeah. Uh,
3: a totally different podcast a totally different that t- I would like but, to found. But nevertheless, tomorrow. That
1: it, it, and this is the sort of thing that is discussed here on community radio yeah. in Portland and, and elsewhere. Um, any final thoughts about uh, National Radio Day, Jennifer?
3: Oh,
2: well, I was um, – maybe I'll share another radio moment as a DJ. Um, cause I, I, started out just sharing my radio memories as a listener
3: mm-hmm.
2: and reflecting back on both of your tales about doing some sort of community event at a station. Um, this, it sounds weird after talking after your story, which has so much social impact, but at KFJC one time, somebody organized a radio drama and a bunch of us from the station participated and it was like a really weird play. <laughs> Um, that we all perform live on the air and it was terrifying. It was strange. There were parts where we had to sing and I'm not a singer, Mm -hmm. but it was so much fun to do something on the radio that was completely different from what I normally do on the radio and to be collaborating with fellow DJs on it. It was a great experience. So like, and this happened maybe 10 years ago and, and people continue to mention it years later because it was so different than anything we've ever done there. So that was a great memory. And, you know, all of these things are reflective of the incredible diversity of things that you can do on the radio, you know, fun radio dramas, really powerful things that have to do with um, issues that are taking place in your town or in your neighborhood. Um, Great music programming. There's, It's when I tell people that I write about radio and that I look at the world kind of through the lens of radio, I think a lot of people don't realize how much there is in radio. Uh, Many people have such a narrow perception of what radio is. And I think all of these stories that we've shared really tell tell the tale of of radio being so much more than many people realize. Yeah, we've
3: done this before here on the podcast when when we talked about uh, the the days after Prince passed away and how amazing it was to listen together to the radio to hear his music. Um, We talked about this when we, early on in the podcast, uh, reminisced about our our love for the Over the Edge program, how the power of of that uh, weird piece of... Radio art that aired every week on KPFA on Thursday nights uh, and, and how we all had different, we all had different approaches to our fandom of that, of that work, but it also changed how we thought about radio. When else? Did, we've we've done this
1: before. We've this this could be the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. And, and we'd love to hear from you, uh, yes. from listeners. What sh- what is a moment, whether making radio, uh, consuming radio, communing with radio and radio people? We'd love to hear from you. Uh, you could, of course, send us an email podcast at radiosurvivor.com. Also, I mean, record it. Use the, just the voice memo app on your phone and send it off to us. Uh, you can just send it to us by email or, or however you, yeah. you, you, you can do it, and we'll we'd be more than glad to, to uh, put it into the podcast. We'd love to hear more from everyone uh, who listens. And so, I mean, to close out here for this National Radio Day edition, we have uh, two special things. First, Eric put together a really nice Sonic ID, uh, which is uh, – Kind of, it's. I mean, it's an ID, as we say in radio. It's sort of something you use to kind of uh, identify your station. But in this case, it's identifying the Radio Survivor podcast in honor of National Radio Day. And lots of other stations have done this, and you can find them at uh, nationalradioday.com. So we'll listen to that, and then Jennifer recorded another band scan for us in Chicago, hey. and we'll get to hear. <laughs> where do you do you know approximately where you were, Jennifer, when you were where, when you were recording that band scan?
2: Oh, I don't know. I might have been really close to Chirp. Um and I actually only did the left side of the dial.
1: <laughs> okay, yeah, because it's such a dense dial in Chicago. There's yeah. so many stations. The left side is the best side. Indeed. Uh so we'll listen to that as well. So if you were near Chirp, you were in probably uh somewhere near the Lincoln Square in Ravenswood neighborhoods. Um since I think that's where they're they're located in the uh in the north side. Yeah, of, I think, uh, what Chicago. do they
2: call it? North Central. Yeah. I guess they call their neighborhood. Yes. Yeah, Chicago
1: the nor- yeah. North Central. All of a sudden, you got crackly there. Yeah, you
3: might. You can just cut that out, even.
1: Yeah, so in the North Central neighborhood. So uh, we'll also include that. So you get a little slice of the Chicago, left end of the Chicago dial. Uh, once again, thank you to everyone. For uh, listening to the show this week And we hope you're celebrating And having a happy National Radio Day Thank you Jennifer and thank you Eric Thanks, yeah, happy Radio Thanks, Day Paul. everybody
2: Happy Happy National Radio Day
3: Hello, Eric Klein here Co-host of the podcast Radio Survivor Wishing you and yours a very happy National Radio Day At Radio Survivor we celebrate What makes community radio
1: great I think radio in its greatest capability does is it brings us all together to have a conversation about what we have in common or what has to be done for us to have things in common. What I don't want my radio station to be is a melting pot. It's not homogenization. It's a mosaic.
3: Our podcast is an excuse to get very nerdy with our friends in radio around the country.
2: Uh, this this is a big treasure hunt for me. Archival research is a huge treasure hunt, and I cannot get enough of it.
3: I feel the same way.
2: <laughs> when I'm tracking down college radio history, it's like a treasure hunt, and you never know where you'll find it.
3: Absolutely. On Radio Survivor, we love every kind of radio that serves communities, from podcasting to Pirates.
2: I've always
0: been interested in pirate radio and those people using radio with, uh, for unshack sanctioned purposes. So that kind of interested me because I think that's where some sort of the most creative radios happen because people are breaking the rules.
3: Every radio station is special. We try to do our part to cheer them on when they succeed and to keep them strong in the face of real challenges.
1: I think that college radio's self-imposed smallness is a threat to its future.
3: That doesn't always ring
2: true to me because I think there are small college radio stations that are doing amazing work for their communities.
3: I think it's an amazing group of people and a lot of amazing energy that's um, come together around the idea of keeping it like it used to be in college.
2: It's a window into a culture that has touched so many people. You know, and it's not just college radio, but independent radio and quirky commercial stations, the sights and sounds of these little communities, these places with, that people call home. I think that's probably what what draws me to touring all these stations is I feel like so at home in a radio station.
3: From all of us at Radio Survivor, where we work to amplify the sound of strong communities, Happy National Radio Day.
2: All right, we're going to scan the Chicago radio dial. We're starting with 87.7 Me FM. Soft rock. Static. Static. Eighty-seven nine. Eighty-eight one
0: static.
3: Eighty-eight point seven FM. WRSC FM.
2: is WONC, College Radio at North Central College.
3: 89.3
2: is WNUR at Northwestern. We're starting to lose it a little bit as we're driving to Naperville.
0: Concerning and troubling question about the role of a social platform that has 1.04 billion users. That would be WMBI. A, you know, couple that with the fact that the CEO Mark Zuckerberg has been very public in denouncing one. It's a religious talk station. So you already know his sentiments from the Moody Radio. Asked, uh, where there's smoke, there's fire, raises little concern. So uh, the, the candidate's name is. Him
1: more cheerfully answer for myself. All i very happy to testify to feelings because what uh, may mm-hmm. 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 mm-hmm.
2: mm-hmm. WDCB, hearing some blues.
1: Dispatched a lawyer to retrieve his long-form birth certificate in Hawaii. W B E Z. Some irritation. Seth Myers didn't even realize Trump would be at the dinner. At the time, he was sort of a bipartisan target. To
2: other people. Ninety-one point nine. Sounds like a religious station to me. It's almost 5.30 on a Friday we night. We are
1: asked to pray for a mother and daughter to be able to find a new home. They feel they are not wanted where they are currently living. Pray also for enough money so they can always help with God's work. I
2: think that might be family radio. again End of the non-commercial New York, slice of the, the dial. A
0: request to pray for a lady and her family. A lady in California.